Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. If you're physically able to stand, join those that are already standing just for one more moment in respect and honoring the word of the Lord. I want to read uh, some verses of scripture to uh, set the stage for a little talk I want to make right now about the resurrection. It is Easter, and we know that we are here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the only man, only human being who ever, has ever in the history of the world died and come back. There were some individuals recorded in the Bible, the accounts of just a handful who died and came back. They were resurrected. But the difference between them and Jesus Christ is they died again. And uh, they are still dead. At least their body is dead. And they are awaiting the resurrection that only Jesus can give. Jesus is the only one who died and came back. Praise God. Never to die again. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. I'm going to read beginning with verse number 1. It says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher or the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. For fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. The angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. Notice especially this last verse I'm going to read, verse 6. They said, He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, not only is he alive forevermore, but he said it would happen. Amen. Aren't you glad you serve a God today who knows what's going to happen in the future? He knows all about your future and mine. I'm so glad he does. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. I'm going to talk to you for a few moments this morning before we go eat lunch. If I could just have your attention for just a few moments as I talk about this fact. We need a risen Savior. We need a risen Savior. We don't need a dead one. Turn to somebody and say, you need a risen Savior. In fact, I'd like for you to do this. Let's just take a moment or two and uh, get out from where you're standing and go shake hands with somebody, share a smile, greet them, maybe someone you haven't greeted yet today. Tell them they look good. And you're glad they're here at church. After you've done that for one person, go and greet a second and a third person. Praise God. Now, if you're sure that you've greeted at least two people, then you may be seated. God bless you today. You may be seated. 
What I would like to do this morning before we leave is to address a question. It's an important question, I believe. Why would anyone believe in Jesus? Why should anyone believe in Jesus? The Apostle Peter told us in 1 Peter chapter 3, he said we should always be ready to give a reason to whoever asks for the hope that is in us. And that's, of course, referring to the hope we have in Jesus Christ. If you have uh, listened to the radio or watched television, watched movies, read the newspapers, or looked on the Internet in the last 20, 25, 30 years, you might have noticed something. You may have noticed that the world that we live in does not hold Christianity in the highest regard. In fact, just the opposite. In fact, Christians, even right here in the United States of America, Christians are oftentimes the subject of ridicule by people in the media, Hollywood, people in politics. And, and these people who seemingly have a lot of influence, they give the appearance that there really is no reason anymore to believe in Jesus Christ. But for our own faith, for our own good, for the faith of others that we are trying to share our faith with, it is necessary for us to be able, as a Christian, to give a reason why we believe in Jesus, why we believe that he did rise from the dead, and why we believe he is still alive today forevermore. Because here's what I want to convince you of this morning. You need a risen Savior. Everybody needs a Savior. Sadly, a lot of people in the world, though they may agree with that, have settled for a dead Savior. They really have. Let me, let me just go to these eight words that are found in the Bible I read a moment ago. I, I like these words. These eight words capture the, the very core, central reason why anyone should believe in Jesus. First of all, they were spoken by an angel from heaven to uh, a couple of broken-hearted women. They had seen their precious friend Jesus die. They had seen him brutally beaten and tortured literally to death. And uh, they came back to the tomb to, to do some uh, things to honor him, to add spices to the body uh, as they did in those days. But when they got to the tomb, they couldn't find the body. It was missing. It was gone. And, and so, of course, these women immediately thought, well, someone has stolen it. They've walked off with the body, but they didn't know where it was or who had taken it. And so in the midst of their grief and their confusion, God in his grace and his mercy and his love sent them. They received the very first announcement. He sent them an angel to announce to them that Jesus was alive again. Praise God. An angel with a message was sent to them. And in this message, the heart of it was simply these eight words. He is not here. Put them back on the screen, brother. Verse number six. For he is risen. He's not here because he has risen from the dead. These are words with very profound implications. They're important because they tell us 
again about the only person in the history of the whole planet who has ever really conquered death once and for all. And uh, they simply heard the words, Jesus isn't here, for he's risen. So for 20 centuries, or more than that actually, the world has wrestled with this truth and debated about whether it's really actually true or not, the, the truth of these eight words. And, and down through history, if you'll note, the greatest attacks that have been levied against Christianity have been focused against Jesus' resurrection. And here's why. There's a good reason why. Because people who believe in Jesus, people who don't believe in Jesus, we all understand that the resurrection is the cornerstone of Christianity. Ladies and gentlemen, here's what it all boils down to. If Jesus rose from the dead, then Christianity is true, every bit of it. But if he did not rise from the dead, then it's all false. It's that simple. So the question of whether or not we really should or, or, or would or can believe in Jesus comes down to this in a nutshell. Did what those angels say to those women, did it actually take place? Did Jesus really die and come back to life? Is there evidence? If we choose to believe that he did, is there evidence to support that? The, the implications are huge if it did happen or if it didn't happen. Because once again, quite honestly, the bottom line is this. You and I need a risen Savior. We need one who's alive and not dead. Think about it. Think about it. If the resurrection did not happen, then we're in trouble. If the resurrection didn't happen, then there's two or three things that we can uh, come up with that are true because of the fact if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 and 14, Paul said it like this very bluntly. If Christ is not risen, if he has not been raised, then he said our preaching is in vain. That's one thing. That's bad enough. But he went on to say if, if Jesus is still dead, then your faith is in vain. It's useless. Jesus is a liar. Or at the very minimum, he's a, a, a lunatic. Christianity is false. You've wasted your time. You've wasted your life believing in Jesus' supposed ability to save you from death if he didn't rise. But, but, but think about this. What, what if he did rise from the dead? If Jesus did truly resurrect from that tomb that day, walk out of it, never to die again, then that proves three things as well. Number one, it proves Jesus has power over death, and nobody else ever has. Number two, it proves, if Jesus is alive, that you can personally trust in him. You can trust in him with everything. Most importantly, you can trust in Jesus with your eternal destiny because he predicted and then fulfilled his own resurrection. And because he did that, you can trust the promise that he's going to resurrect you one of these days and raise you from the dead if you're truly interested in that happening. If you're interested enough to do what he said it would take for that to happen.
And finally, number three, if Jesus did rise from the dead, I'm going to be blunt, and uh, I don't mean to offend anybody. Don't shoot the messenger. But it's true anyhow. If Jesus did rise from the dead, then it proves all other religions are false. There should have been more amens in a house filled with apostolics. If you don't believe that all other religions are false, then you're deceived. I know that's harsh. That's hard, especially when, and I know there's folks here today that have gotten on, on board that. I, I sense it in my spirit, people who believe the hype that we have been hearing for years now, and that is, oh, let's just all get along. Let, let, let's don't, let's don't uh, try to be divisive. Let's, let's celebrate uh, the fact that we can believe different things and still get along with one another. I'm all for getting along with everybody. I, I want to do that. But uh, the saying that you may have heard somebody say, it doesn't matter what you believe so long as you are sincere, that, that simply is not true. It does matter what you believe, no matter how sincere you are. Because you can be completely sincere and completely wrong. And when you're talking about and dealing with your eternal destiny and where you're going to spend eternity uh, forever and ever, you don't want to be wrong. Believe me, I can sincerely Believe with all my heart, with, with all the sincerity I can muster up, that an airplane I get on and fly from St. Louis to New York City will make the journey and land just fine. But if, if the wheels were to fall off right before the landing, then it doesn't matter how sincere I am in believing that the plane is going to land safely. I, I'm still wrong. Sincerity is irrelevant. It's the truth that counts. Now, I don't, I, I don't mean to be unkind, and I don't think we should be unkind, but we should certainly stand for the truth because Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. If Jesus, listen to me, if Jesus claimed that he was the only way to be saved, he was the only path to salvation. Then his rising from the dead is the stamp of approval from a completely truthful God who is telling us that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the only way to get to heaven. So it follows every other religion has to be false. I, I find it amazing that every religion, most of them anyhow, claim to know how to conquer death but none of them except Christianity claims to have a leader who actually did it. I'll say it again. You need a risen Savior. Now, there's a lot at stake here. There really is. Did he rise from the dead? Did he do it? To answer our question, I think we need to look at the evidence. The evidence. Uh, we don't have to have what somebody called blind faith. God does not ask us to have blind faith. He does not ask us to believe things for which there's no evidence, but rather he has graciously given us an abundant amount 
of evidence. So let's start off by looking at it in the Scripture, Luke 24, verse number 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, this is another rendition of the story I read from Matthew. The women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, now these are the angels, they said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. He said, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. They remember what Jesus said at that point. It it, it clicked. I, I don't know why they forgot that. I guess his death must have been so surprising to them. But when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11. That's the 11 disciples. And to all the others, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, And the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women. Uh Uh-oh, these men had trouble believing the women. Like that's never happened before. Here's why. Because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, I I like Peter. He uh, very often put his foot in his mouth and paid the price for it. But uh, he had his head on straight. Peter got up. And ran to the tomb. He wanted to see for himself, which was the smart thing to do. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Uh, John chapter 20 adds to this by saying that Jesus revealed himself to the women in person. So let's look at the evidence. We're in a courtroom here this morning for just a moment or two. Let's examine it. First of all, we have an empty tomb. Uh, You would expect if the resurrection really happened that the tomb must be empty, right? Well, of course, had to be. But is the empty tomb enough evidence by itself? Is it enough to convince us Jesus really rose from the dead? Well, the answer to that has to be no. Because the first thing those women thought had happened was that somebody had stolen the body. In fact, um, that was a rumor that was going around all of Judea at the time. And and the, the, the Pharisees, the high priests, the ones who were responsible for getting Jesus crucified, they told Pilate and the other Roman rulers, you put Roman soldiers on guard outside the tomb so that his disciples his followers can't come and and roll the stone away I don't know how they thought they were going to be able to do that but but so that nobody can come and take his body and say oh he's risen put some guards in front of that tomb and so Pilate did that so an empty tomb isn't enough evidence let's go to something else and you may not have thought about this Uh, I really didn't think about it that much for most of my life until I began to research it. But there was a definite change in the disciples' demeanor and attitude after the resurrection. 
when they became convinced that Jesus had resurrected from that tomb, uh, it changed them. Before the resurrection, they were cowards. They were hiding in shadows behind locked doors. They were afraid for themselves. They were afraid of being killed themselves. They said, well, if he didn't make it, then we're next. But after the resurrection, you can't read anything in the New Testament after Jesus rose from the dead without getting a full picture that his disciples were totally changed. They were totally committed. They, from that point on, boldly spoke about and claimed that Jesus had risen from the dead in the presence of their enemies time after time after time. So the question comes up, what was it that caused such a radical change in the disciples' attitudes? Was it the empty tomb? I don't think so. Was it the testimony of people who talked to angels? Well, let's see what the Bible says in John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Listen to me. They saw him with their very own eyes, and that changed everything. They saw him. No other explanation could account for or give us a reason about this complete turnaround in their behavior from hiding for their fear of their lives to boldly proclaiming he's alive, knowing that any, any minute they could and were uh, put in jail and eventually killed for their belief in the resurrection. So is there change in attitude? Is that, is that good evidence that they did really see him alive? Absolutely, but we have even more. Let's look at the next piece of evidence. And this is where it gets really interesting, folks. It is the disciples' willingness to suffer and even their willingness to die for what they believed. Absolutely, 100%, they believed that Jesus was now alive. Uh, At one point in the Old Testament, uh, the story of Job. You read in the book of Job. You read where God tells Satan uh, to look at Job. God actually opened the door for Satan to mess with Job. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure how I would take that. If God said, devil, you see uh, Steve Edwards, he's down there living in the town of Mount Vernon. He's pastoring that church and so forth and so on. Have at him. Uh, I don't think I would choose that. But God had so much trust in Job, he believed he could trust in Job to respond the right way to the devil's attack. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that God trusts you that much? 
that he'll say, devil, there's my servant, Jeff Miriam. You can have him. Do whatever you want to to him. Just don't kill him. That's what God actually told the devil about Job. And you know what the devil said to God in return? He's never happy, is he? The devil looked at God and he said, well, does Job fear you for nothing? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand now and strike everything that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. What was the devil saying to God? In essence, he was saying, God, you've given Job everything that he's got, all these good things. That's why he follows you. That's why he serves you. Not because, really, that he loves you that much, but we know the story. God said, okay. You can do anything you want to him except kill him. We know Job passed the test. Now, now think about this. Nothing else shows everybody else the degree and the depth of your sincerity about your beliefs more than your willingness to suffer for it. Your willingness to sacrifice for what you believe. Nothing else proves how you really feel about what you believe. Anything more than are you willing to endure pain because of it. Poke your neighbor very gently. They need to hear what pastor's saying. Now our home folk know that whenever pastor says that, he's caught somebody sleeping. Or at least they look like they're asleep. You know what? The disciples suffered for their testimony, for their, their absolute stick to They would not back down. They would not back up from proclaiming with everything they could that Jesus Christ did come out of that grave. Whippings couldn't stop them from doing it. Stonings couldn't stop them. Hunger, shipwreck, beatings, poverty, imprisonment could not stop them from proclaiming, I believe he's risen and I'm going to follow him until the day that I die. They could have easily avoided all of that, but they refused to stop telling people that Jesus rose from the dead and that they had personally seen him with their own eyes, not that they just heard about it with their ears, but they saw him for themselves, and they told it, folks. They told it over and over and over again. Uh, it, it was as if their being willing to suffer from persecution, years of it, wasn't strong enough evidence about their conviction, but there's one more thing. They believed it strong enough that Jesus did rise from the dead, and the Bible and church history both give us the confirmation of their willingness by their being willing to die for their belief. Rather than deny the resurrection. Now, some people, and I won't be very much longer, some people will, might, some people might suffer and die for what they believe to be true. 
But you try to find, I want you to find for us anybody in religious history that was ever willing to gladly suffer and die for what they knew to be a lie. You won't find that. I've never seen it. I've never heard of it. I've never found it. If anybody ever recants, changes their story, and say, uh, you know, it's not like I said it was or I believed it was. If anybody is going to do that turnaround about something that's false, they'll surely do it when faced with certain death. You put a knife to their throat, and if what they believe is false, that's going to be when they give it up. Say, okay, okay, I'll back down. It really didn't happen. But they knew it was true. And, and because of that, they considered this life of, of such little value compared to their commitment to Jesus Christ. If the disciples knew that the resurrection was a lie, would they have died for it? Of course not. Never in a million years. They saw him with their own eyes. They touched him with their own hands. They knew he was alive and had conquered death. Thomas had put his hands into the, the hole in his side where that Roman soldier's spear had pierced Jesus. And all of that accounted for the change in their attitude. Now they were willing to suffer and, yes, even willing to die as a martyr to prove to the entire world that the resurrection actually happened. It took place. Jesus did rise from the dead just like he said he would do. The Bible says faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. None of us saw Jesus after the resurrection, did we? Nobody. We weren't there. But the apostles' faith in the resurrection, their belief and their faith their belief that he did it. Their belief that was so strong that they died for it. Every single one of the 11 apostles, except for John, died as a martyr, put to death because they would not recant their story that Jesus Christ did indeed rise from the dead. We weren't there, but their faith in the resurrection is our evidence something that we have even though we were not there to see it it's the truth ladies and gentlemen it's the truth it really happened Mark 16 and 20 here's another and last item of evidence the apostles did something after the resurrection besides spread the good news verse 20 of Mark 16 then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Jesus performed miracles, and so did the apostles. Thousands and thousands of people joined the church because 
of these miracles and the testimony that the disciples gave in Jesus' name. Let me ask you a question. Could a dead Jesus perform miracles like that? Of course not. It took a risen Savior to do what he did. And that's what you and I need this morning. We need a risen Savior, one who is alive forevermore. You, me, we all need a risen Savior. We don't need a dead Redeemer. We don't need a dead hero. We don't need a dead Savior. But that's what Buddhist followers have. Buddhist followers, they have a dead Savior. That's what Muslims have, a dead Savior. That's what the followers of Hare Krishna have, a dead Savior. That's what the followers of Confucius have got today. They've got nothing more than a dead Savior. But we don't need a dead Savior, and neither do they. We need a risen Savior. We need a Savior who is alive forevermore. We need a Savior who has conquered death and hell and the grave. We need a Savior who, when you call out his name, he comes running. He's not on vacation, but instantly he's there on the spot, ready and able and willing to help you and minister to your situation when and where you need him. Do you need him today? Well, I'll answer the question for you, whether you know it or not, you do. If you're not in a time in your life when you know that you need him, in other words, things are going pretty smooth right now, and and you're, uh, you're okay. Let's all stand together. I'm done. I'm about to invite you to come to the front for prayer. But before I do, let me just go on reminding you, you do need a Savior today. I, I, I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what you're experiencing, what you're going through this morning. Maybe things are going fine for you. Maybe not. I, I don't know how much endurance you've got to try to make it through the tough times of life on your own. But I think you're like me. I can't do it. I just can't do it. I can't do it by myself. I know this one thing. I need a Savior in my life. I can't make it on my own. I'm going to tell you the truth. You really can't either. You may think you're able to, but not me. I need him. I don't need a dead Savior today. I need a risen one. As every head is bowed and every eye closed, I know we've got things to do, places to go, people to see, lunch to eat, but could I just ask you today to take just another couple of minutes out of your busy schedule. I, I know I know you've got things to do, but listen, this is important. It's more important than you've ever thought it was that you make sure not only that you know you need a risen Savior, but that God knows that you know you need Him in your life. And so if you would like to publicly make that known to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, I'm going to open up this altar and 
And folks who attend church here all the time know that uh, we like to go and pray every service. It doesn't mean that you're on the outs with God. If you come up to the front, doesn't mean you're backslidden or you're lost or you're going to split hell wide open. doesn't mean any of that. It simply means if you come to the front to pray that you would like to let Jesus know how you feel about him and that you care enough that he is in your life and you want it strongly enough that you're not embarrassed Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you, and have a blessed day.